you have a Bible handy, I'd like you to turn to uh, Psalms tonight. Psalm 32. Psalm 32. <clears throat> Talking about the power of repentance to uh, change our lives, to move us in, in directions that are really anointed and blessed. And uh, wanted to uh, grab hold of some of the insights that Psalm 32 presents to us tonight. Let me just go through part of it, and unless we've got enough time, I may go through it all. We'll see. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and, whose spirit is, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now I'll refer to the rest, but don't want to stop there momentarily. One of the things that uh, either personally you may have experienced, like myself or someone else, or you've uh, had the opportunity to see in other people, is the wasting away. Uh, frequently starts spiritually uh, when a person is in a state of rebellion or covering up sin in their life or uh, hiding behind what they the appearance of truth. Uh, usually starts in a spiritual realm, but frequently manifests itself quite quickly in the physical realm, in the three-dimensional world, not only upon their face and their countenance, uh, not only in their eyes, which Scripture says are the windows to the heart, but it measures itself out finally and in very visible ways into their whole body, into everything that they are as a person, and it begins to manifest in their life in many, many different ways. And uh, unfortunately, many times the person who is in the condition of not dealing with sin, who hasn't understood the power of repentance, of, of dealing with it up front with the Lord, uh, doesn't realize how much they've deteriorated because, unfortunately for them, the deception is very gradual. It is a little bit at a time. It, it's a little bit like the old frog in the hot water where if you take a frog, you drop it in a boiling pot, it jumps out. But if you put it in a cold water and you turn the heat on underneath it and gently raise that temperature up, that frog will sit in there until you kill it. It's a little bit like that in terms of the, the way that unrepented sin or kind of the two-facedness of our relationship with God, it kind of just, if you're not careful, that temperature just keeps going up and up and up until finally what you begin to manifest is nothing more than a dead spirit, nothing more than a man or a woman who used to love God who still has the intellectual skill of loving God and the intellectual memories of loving God and the intellectual understanding of what worship was, but has not been dealing with God face to face, has not truly worshipped God in a while, and certainly has not had anything fresh from the Lord in a long time. And that can happen to any one of us. No one is exempt, whether you're the pastor or anybody else in the congregation, whether you're young or old. It is a characteristic that is real, and it's identified, and that process is very unfortunate. In this particular psalm, as you read it uh, by the psalmist David, uh, the word blessed, of course, kind of means happy, rejoicing, kind of lifted up, 
happy, a lifted up, lifted uh, in terms of spirit, okay, is he whose transgressions. Now, notice it's repeated in three different ways, okay? Uh, whenever a psalm does it, frequently they do it because of the way it couplets up and they kind of multiply itself. But when you also do it for emphasis to help you understand, this is a key point that I'm going to try and make. Whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and then the third one down there, whose sin the Lord does not count, and then finishes off against him. Three ways that is identified. And each one has a slightly different flavor to it. Each one offers you a different understanding so that you begin to recognize them. And trying to teach the confirmation kids, I think I shared with you a week ago, we were, we were working through the armor of the Lord, and I was trying to help the confirmation kids understand that as you put on the armor of God, that the truth that you put on is not a singular like, this is wrong, this is right, but there's a truth that God reveals to you about your own character, about your own thought, about how people treat you, about everything under the sun. God is not this singular revealer of truth, but it comes at you in every direction. And that so many times, one of the things that he tries to reveal to you is if you hide your sin, which we're going to read in just a minute, it is going to infest your life. It is going to disintegrate you from the inside. It is going to diminish your relationship with God. It is going to attack your understanding of God. It's going to destroy your ability to deal with people the way God wants you to. It is going to inhibit the work of the Spirit in your life. It's going to prevent from you from tasting and knowing what God is really trying to speak to you. It is going to build walls that you can't fully comprehend between, obviously, you and the Lord, but unfortunately also between you and the people you say you love between you and the people you say are closest to you. It infects your life in so many ways, and yet at the same time, you don't notice because you've built this kind of idea up, this lack of repentance, this hardness of heart, with all the walls that you put in place around it. This is who I am. It's my own life. This is what I must do. This is the thing I have to choose to follow. Just a lot of little wall bricks that just kind of go into place, and you put them all in place, and pretty soon there's your father and mother, and here's you. Or there's the people you said you loved, and you find that there seems to be this almost impenetrable wall that has built itself up. And you begin to ask God for things, and the walls of heaven sound like they're gates of iron, and that the doors have slammed shut, and you hear those prayers kind of falling back on you, like in an empty, hollow room echoing back over you, and you can't believe that you have nothing here with God because what's happened to you is you have put the bars of iron or the doors of iron really within the framework of your own mind and your own spirit. And it's not only physical, which we're going to read about in a, sense, in a sentence, but it's also that spiritual destructiveness where you waste away. And so you have to understand that wasting away, I think they call uh, AIDS over in Africa, the wasting disease. It's the kind of thing that just kind of wears them down. It way, they waste away. They can no longer sustain life. And if you've seen pictures of people in that particular condition who have had a, you know, unable to get the treatments maybe that can sometimes do them a lot of good over here, they just kind of diminish. They just disintegrate. Their, their body can no longer survive under the conditions of what the world demands of it, and all the infections and everything else just wastes them away. Well, if you keep these thoughts in the back of your mind, you begin to understand, happy is the man is the contrast. Lifted up, his spirits are totally different. He is rejoicing before the Lord. He is able to lift and or be lifted up 
and to stand before God with a totally different attitude. Then he goes on, and whose spirit is and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Obviously, that spirit that you have is that innermost part of you. And uh, one of the things I was trying to help the kids understand, the armor of God is not only armor against that which the enemy is going to hurl at me from the outside, but it is armor in place against my own wretched sinful nature that hurls itself against God's truth. So as I begin to understand the armor of God guards me from both the inside and the outside, that it isn't just a singular thing. When, it, when I put on that helmet of salvation, that breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, and the other parts of the body, shield of faith, and the other things, God is equipping me to deal with myself more honestly. He's equipping me to understand what is going on in my own heart, in my own life, because what he really wants from me is this spirit of no deceit. You see, it's the deceit, the undealt with, the things that I deceive myself with that ultimately destroy me. They're the things that I'm not willing to bring out or resolve. That's the kind of nature that I have inside of me. I have the ability to lie to myself, to kid myself, deceive myself, and still represent myself as a certain man of faith or a certain person of life and a certain you know, attitude on the outside. And you know it takes an immense amount sometimes for that spirit to finally break into your heart and finally open up those parts of uh, your life and your attitude and everything else like that. That becomes a real challenge. One of the things I sometimes like to do is make the kids on retreat, I'll give them a stone, I'll say, put it in your shoe. And I make them walk around camp with a stone in their shoe. And I go, what are you discovering? Well, it hurts. And I said, how many of you have been able to move it to some place in your shoe where it doesn't hurt as much? And a lot of them raise their hand. I said, what do you notice about that? Well, if you put it in a certain place, it doesn't hurt nearly as much. And after a while, you get used to it. And I said, that's what you do with sin in your life. That's what you do with deceit in your life. It hurts at first. It seems like it's really destructive. You begin to notice it at first, but then you move it around to a spot in your life where it has a lot less effect. And you justify it and you coat it with all the different things you can coat it with until finally you don't recognize deceit as deceit anymore. You don't recognize a dead spirit or a dying spirit as a dying spirit anymore. You simply assume that's the way you're supposed to feel. That's the way it is. It's kind of like if you've ever gone on a diet or you've ever changed uh, something in your life or you've uh, said, well, finally I'm going to go and become a marathon runner or something like that. And you begin to do all that stuff that you know you've always kind of wanted to do. And what do you hear frequently people will say? I can't believe how different I feel. I can't believe what a difference that loss of weight or this change of exercise or something else has done for me because I had gotten so used to I assumed that this is the way I was supposed to feel. I assumed that this is the way a person my age or whatever the condition that I'm dealing with, that's what I'm supposed to feel like. And what you forget sometimes is God is whispering to you, shouting at you, crying out to you, you know, that there's a happiness, there's a freedom, there's a blessedness in those who don't have, or that, that have the true forgiveness of the Lord. Verse 3 now. When I kept silent, now, I wonder who that silence is with, right? I mean, silence, you got to understand, it's kind of like, uh, you know, is that when I kept silent, well, God already knows what you're doing, and I'm going, what is, you know, it's kind of when I kept silent. I think the silence ultimately is when I don't deal with myself. 
This person I'm deceiving is I'm silent with it myself. I'm not bringing it out the way it's supposed to be. Obviously, it's with the Lord. And then notice the phrasing here. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Now, the trouble with my bones wasting away, as you understand the nature of the bone, that's the stability in your body. It is what your muscles are attached to. You're nothing but a blob of, I guess, protoplasm and blood and a few things laying there in a pile if you remove the bones. It's the entire thing that gives you stability and the ability to move and function, protection and all the things that the bone offers. But this wasting away, this idea that you're rotting away from the inside is a really powerful example. And obviously we're supposed to think of it in terms of our physical rotting away. You can never diminish the possibility that many of the ailments that you and I deal with physically are triggered by spiritual wretchedness undealt with sin. <coughs> undealt with sin in our life and whatever else it might be. I'm sorry. It seems like all of a sudden my throat gets dry. Undealt with sin in our life or whatever else it might be. I don't want to walk around saying, because I'm getting this cold, it has to do directly with a particular sin I did. I don't want to do that. Uh, instead, you and I have to be very alert that behaviors frequently cause a lot of different things in our life. And you, don't, you can't just simply say, this is the cause and now is the immediate effect, unless the Spirit reveals it to you. There are certainly times when God reveals, you did this and here's the effect. David, you sinned. Your child is going to die. That's a pretty blunt cause and effect relationship every once in a while that God reveals in his word many times. Thank you, Tom. Many times we are not uh, as privileged to know that answer. But you can't in your own mind just simply say, God is doing this to me because, and you list your sins. I don't know how long your list is, but my list is long enough to be, you know, not only have a cold, but have my entire body retched out here in just a split second because of the things in my sin. And so the point that he's really making here is this. To keep silent about the sin that God is revealing and speaking to you about in your life. To keep silent and not deal with it honestly. To keep and try and hide it away and think somehow that keeping silent about it will bring a rescue into your life is just contrary to everything God's Spirit's trying to reveal to you. Remember, repentance is this gift of God in your life to bring a healing in your life, to bring a restoration in your life, to eliminate the rotting of your bones in your life, to change the direction of your entire life. And literally, God is trying to communicate that when I get to that point where you go, the worst thing in the world feels like having to confess the sin, deal with it honestly. Instead, God whispers, confess it so that your bones don't rot away. Confess it so that I can pour into you things in your life that have been limited by, by your own lack of confession. So it goes on, your hand was heavy upon me. Now, I don't necessarily think that God's up there going, grinding hand heavy. Have you ever stood around people and you know you should say something to them, and so every time you get around them, like this young girl that I was talking about, every time she saw me, all, you know, all last year because of the things she was doing, she could never look me in the eye. And I didn't have anything but love and desire for her to be successful and, and God to bless her and everything else. But for what she did, every time she came near me, everything that she had done, everything that she had sinned with, everything that she had done and said to me uh, just kind of flashed into her head. And she could not look up. She could not feel anything but this unbelievable amount of shame. I knew what was going on. I couldn't figure out how to break into that part of her world. 
because I had just been closed out of it for a variety of reasons. And so here I was understanding what the heavy hand means. You don't necessarily have to have God's hand on you. Go, God, your hand is so heavy on me, you're trying to destroy me. And God whispers at me, that's never been my heart for your life. Okay? And so you begin to understand, well, I certainly deserve that. God goes, we're not talking about what you deserve. We're talking about what I feel toward you. We're talking about what grace is all about. You're talking about who I am. But your hand is so heavy on me. And God whispers, my hand is heavy on you because you are hiding these things in your heart. Because you are living in self-deception. Because you are caught in your own wretchedness and sin. I am not lacking in love of you. I am not lacking in the power and the strength to forgive you. I am not lacking in any of these qualities that we're talking about. But your sin is putting a different tone and an attitude. That's why every once in a while you can say something to someone and they come off and they just pop. We call it hitting a button or something else like that. And they just pop. And you go, what did I step on? How come this person is yelling at me? And the answer has sometimes nothing to do with what you've done in that moment, but because of how you make them feel around you or what stirs up inside their heart. You stand close to the righteousness of God and suddenly all this stuff begins to explode and push against every part of who you are as a human being, a person. And you can actually be offended coming to the altar of God. You can actually feel, rather than the tenderness and the love of God, you can feel all of this bristling and all of this reaction when God is trying to put his arms around you. You're reacting and you're unable to receive the love that that person's extending to you. And I go, I can experience that down here on earth with a single student. Maybe you've experienced that sometime in your own life, even with your own son or daughter, what the situation might be. And here's this child, and what are they doing? They're groaning, okay? Their bones are wasting away. Their life is being sucked from them. And literally, they're disintegrating right before their eyes, not because you don't have a solution to their problem, but because they're going to hang on to their problem no matter what. They're going to choose that wickedness no matter what. And they can't understand how complicated and messy they've made their lives. And so you go, this is not complicated. You go, oh no, you don't understand, it gets dark. God whispers, it is not dark to me. It is not a problem for me. But because you are wrapped in this, it just gets closer and tighter until pretty soon you can't even move. And you've got to understand, God is trying to bring us out of that. So he goes, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped. It is not easy to have the Spirit of God going, child, you gotta, you got to walk in a different path. You know, child, just tell the truth. Child, what's going on in your life? I know there's something wrong. No, there's nothing wrong. No, I know there's something wrong. And you can't understand the power of that. So this sapping away that's spoken of, as it was in the heat of summer, a kind of analogy of giving you that, that exhaustedness you feel as, as this thing just seems to take it from you the same way humidity and heat just sucks the energy from you. You don't have what it takes to stand and fight or do the thing that you need to do. Then the miracle. This is the miracle point. This is where repentance is really identified as that change point. This is where you begin to understand this is not repentance like you got to do this because I'm so angry with you or I'm going to hurt you. This is instead, this is the power that comes that brings the healing into my life. This begins to heal my relationships, my understanding. I can even walk up to a religion teacher who I treated very, very badly and unfairly, 
And I can say to him, and I, there's a part of the story I didn't finish where she said, not only do I want you to forgive me, but I need you to know I'm not at all the same person I was last year. God's really changing me. And I'm sitting there going, why do you, you know, you, you kind of go, why do you even let me taste that beauty, Lord? Because I, I feel so this big, and God gives you this big a blessing, right? You did this much, and God blesses you this much. And I just walked up to the other chaperones. I said, I don't care. The whole rest of the weekend can go to pot. I don't care if it rains and we get snowed in. I don't care if the kids stay up all. I don't care. I said, I've just, my socks are gone. They've just been blessed off. And I go, this child who I never thought in a million years would say that to me. This child who I, in my heart, you know, you got this kind of conflicted. I know what I should feel, but you kind of got, oh, wow, I think she really hates me. And, and you go, it's just God's going, do you understand? So this verse, when you start to look at it, then I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. Just the opposite of everything that we're trained by our flesh to do. I will hide from you. I will cover myself up. I will keep you from seeing me. I will prevent myself from dealing with the truth. I will put it away because I'm convinced that there is no power or answer in that situation. And God is looking at me and saying, you have to lay it down before me so that you and I can enter into a totally different relationship than we're experiencing right now. And so he goes on as David finishes, or not David, uh, no, excuse me, yes, David finishes off. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, I did not cover my iniquity, and I said, I will, now the word confess, remember, means agree. God, I agree with everything you said about my life. Okay? So when you see the word confessed, I want you to just think of going, you're right. You're right. You're right. You understand? Confess is that, is that acknowledgement, that, that agreeing. I agree with everything you say about my life, Lord. I agree with what you're telling me about the way I'm behaving. I agree with you when you tell me about the way I'm living. I agree. You are right, Lord. And I need to tell myself that you are right. I will confess my transgressions. Transgressions is that slipping sideways, that crossing the boundary line, that stepping out of bounds. I, I agree I'm out of bounds. You ever seen the football players, the basketball players, and everyone else, they just scream and holler, right? Then I can scream, I didn't follow, I didn't follow, and you're laughing on the sideline, right? You know, I did the same thing, right? You didn't, you didn't touch him with your arm, your whole body smashed against him, but you didn't touch him with your arm. And so you're saying you're telling the truth, a half truth. Haven't you been that way with God? And you go, God goes, don't do that. Don't do that. You gain nothing by it, okay? It just holds you back from playing. And it says here, go, confess my transgressions, Lord, and you forgave. Now watch what it says next. You forgave the guilt. You forgave what eats away at me. You forgave the most destructive force that you can probably experience in your life. You forgave. That's what God's talking about. We're not just speaking, I mean, we, we got the sins forgiven, the sins covered, and I don't want to diminish those at all. But try to understand the power of this last word. And the guilt. I want to get it to a point where there is no more guilt in that moment. I don't want that to be wearing down on you any longer. But God, how can I possibly, and God says, I'm going to forgive and work even in the guilt 
of the sin that's associated with that behavior and that action and that attitude. It doesn't mean that God, you know, simply removes it from my memory. He just removes all the pain, all the shame, all the things are taken off of that moment. And he says, I am going to bring that point of forgiveness so that even the guilt of the sin is finally removed. But God, I, I, I've been this woman and a prostitute, and I've, I've had five husbands. God says, yeah, but I got water. I am the water. I will give you, and you'll never thirst again. Understand the power of what Christ is trying to administer here. He's trying to administer something that doesn't allow her to get thirsty again. That doesn't allow her to go down and beat herself up. That doesn't allow Satan to get a foothold in her life any longer. That doesn't allow him to go, but you did this and this and this. Because you finally get to look back and say, that is who I was, and now in Christ I am this person. And that in Christ I understand who I am in the Lord. One of the most challenging things that God has is to get us to understand the simplicity of this text. I want you to be happy. I want you to be lifted up. I'm not blinded to the fact that I'm going to have to forgive your transgressions and cover your sins and don't count your sins against you. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do want you to know this is who I want you to be. I want you to be lifted up. I want you to come into my presence with thanksgiving. I want you to come into my presence and my courts with praise. I want you to be lifted up when you walk into my presence. Why? Because the guilt has been taken off of you. Because all of your sins are covered. Because you've been set free. And the doorway into that life is the two things that he points out here. One, I confess my iniquity and confess my transgressions. And two, in my spirit there was no more deceit. No more deceit. It was dealt with. God, this is who I really am. Even, I, I like to tell people sometimes, sometimes if you can't confess the sin, you say, dear God, make me willing to be willing. You start wherever you're at. God, I can't even deal with my sin. Then confess your unwillingness to deal with it. Start wherever that point is. Because God has a desire to create this. Now watch the rest of this section, and you'll see the beauty of it, okay? I'm going to read it, verse uh, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Hear the power of the beauty of those words. He goes, you understand, this is not God running away from you. This is God going, I want you to know. I'm going to instruct you and teach you. I'm going to counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like a horse or a mule, which has no understanding and has to be controlled by a bit and a bridle, and, uh, and, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice. I'm sorry, I skipped the six and seven, didn't I? That's the part I wanted to hit. I'm, I'm sorry. That's part. I'm sorry. I read the start. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. Beautiful verse now. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I skipped the part I wanted to focus on. Isn't that beautiful? You go, what are you singing to me now, Jesus? I'm singing to you that there is nothing Nothing that I can't heal and forgive in your life, Roots. Is that you singing over me, Lord? Yeah. You find joy in my presence, Lord? Yes. 
You understand? This is, when you catch what's going on, you step back and you want to go, why haven't I come sooner? What took me so long to get there? What is it that I thought I had that even can begin to compare to the understanding of what it means to be sung over by God and desirable to God and longed after by God and a treasure to God and wept when I'm not around him. And you begin to understand the power of what God is trying to speak to your heart. This is so intimate. It is so tender. It is so loving. It kind of whispers no matter what it is that is holding you away from me. Just lay it down. Confess it. Don't hide your transgressions, and then you are my hiding place. You will protect me from, so, from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And that song, I, I know Martin could certainly be, you are my hiding place. You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance. Whenever I feel afraid, I will trust in you. You understand? So the beauty of the song, and God whispers it over you so that you understand the intimate love that he has for you and I. The miracle, like I told you, in repentance, the miracle of Lent is not a time of sorrow. It's a time of blessed. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of having God sing over me. It's a time of resting, like it says here. He's my hiding place. I rest on him. He's the one who sustains me and carries me. And then last verse, I kind of read through the rest, so I'm going to go right to the last verse. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Again, you're, the, the revealing of God and his love for us in this text is just unbelievable. As God works in your life this Lenten season, uh, understand the enemy here is not God. The enemy is my flesh. The enemy here is not the ability of God to work and love me and work in my life circumstance. The enemy are the deceptive things I put in my mind that build walls between me and the Lord. The enemy is in my own head and in my own heart and in my own excuse making and in my own fears and in my own apprehensions. I am destroying myself. I am cutting and bleeding out myself. And God whispers and grabs hold of my wrist and says, Child, I don't want to lose you. And that's the miracle of finally coming to the end of ourselves when that deception no longer is going to be the choice that we make. Would you pray with me?